Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,616. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I'm revved up and so excited to share with you today a very special returning guest calling in from uh, Sun City, California, by the name of Pete Alliance. Hey, Pete, welcome back to Cars Yeah, my friend. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm Listen, I've had a ride around Riverside with... Um Peter Ripson and the Canon McLaren, I am ready, dude. <laughs> well, I don't know if I could be that exciting, but I'm going to do my best for you today. Before I make a proper introduction and we talk about the questions, or I ask you the questions I have for you today, I'm going to ask you this. By the way, listeners, Pete was guest number 60 back in August of 2014, so it's been six years since you've been on the show I'm a little remiss for not having you on again because you've written so many great books, but it's great to have you back. Tell me one thing, Pete, about you that most people may not know. Oh, my goodness. I've written so much, you know, jabbered on. How much? How would I answer that? Um, let's pass on that one, okay? <laughs> well, you can't pass I, on the first question. That would set the bad tone for the entire show. Okay. <laughs> Maybe there's yeah, a little right. hobby you have or something outside of cars or something you like to do that most people go, wow, I didn't know Pete liked to do that. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I think it's kind of in the jackular way what's popping into my mind is I'm not really as good a race driver as I'd like to make out. Well, there's a fair answer to that question. Now, are you still getting out on the track and driving cars these days? No, no, I'm I'm getting too you know too old and stiff to do that. But uh, I, I saw George Fulmer in the cockpit of the Shadow last weekend, and he was still driving at least through the pit lane. And you know, he's older than I am. There you go. There you go. Well, we're going to talk about shadows in a minute, but let me give the audience here a proper introduction to yes. Pete Lyons. I think everybody knows about you, but in case they don't, Pete Lyons is an international motorsports reporter, a photographer, award-winning book author. He's worked in the field of Formula One, Can-Am, endurance sports cars, Trans Am, IndyCar, and many other forms of auto racing. On occasion, Pete's also covered drag racing, stock car racing, rallying, hill climbs, motorcycle racing, and even airplane racing. To date, Pete has authored 18 published books, his latest being, which we're going to talk about today, Shadow, The Magnificent Machines of a Man of Mystery. Pete's honors include two Dean Bachelor Awards of Excellence for Journalism, the Ken Purdy Award, the Award of Appreciation for the Road Racing Drivers Club, and the International Automotive Media Award for Lifetime Achievements. Absolutely spectacular. We'll be back in a minute to talk more about Pete, but first a word from our sponsors that make this show possible. I hope you support them they're the way we can keep bringing cars you have to do so give a listen sit tight keep the seatbelt on we'll be right back did you know that covercraft is much more than car covers they offer protection for the inside of your vehicles as well no matter what kind of vehicle you drive covercraft makes a floor mat a cargo area protection product just for your vehicle their plush custom fit floor mats turn any ride into something special their premier berber custom floor mats which are a favorite of mine 
If you want something very stylish and unique for your favorite ride, they also have Weather Shield floor liners that provide ultimate protection for heavy dirt, mud, snow, and slush. Their Carhartt custom cargo liners not only look great, but keep your rear cargo area and seats protected from the kids, the pets, or whatever's going on back there. Do you have a pet that destroys your vehicles? Covercraft has you covered for that too with a wide variety of pet protection options. Is your vehicle getting a little long in tooth? There's no better way to give it a new car look than with a custom fit floor and trunk mat. I replace mine every few years with something a little different just for fun. All your options are easy to clean, they secure to the floor, and they look oh so good. Don't forget your trunk too. Custom fit trunk liners for sedans, coupes, and SUVs are perfect to protect the factory carpet from all those things that can stain, tear, and damage your carpets. Check out Covercraft.com for the huge number of styles, colors, and options that you'll love. And I've got a deal for you here at Cars Yeah. If you use the Yeah120 code at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order on me. Go to Covercraft.com, use the code Y-E-A-H-120 at checkout and get 10% off today. Covercraft, they've got you covered. Hey, Mark Green here. I want to invite you to an exclusive virtual wine tasting event that I'm hosting on Wednesday, August 26th at 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. You've heard me talk about Adobe Road Winery's The Racing Series here on Cars Yeah! For this exclusive event, I have invited some of my fellow automotive enthusiasts and past Cars Yeah! guest to join us. McKeel Haggerty and Wayne Carini will share their love of classic cars. Lynn St. James will be providing insights on racing, and you'll learn about the challenges of choosing Best in Show from Jeff Love and David Lillywhite, editors of the magnificent Magneto magazine with their virtual online concours. When you purchase two bottles of the racing series, you'll get a private invitation to this exclusive Zoom event that centers at Adobe Road Winery, where Vintner and endurance racer Kevin Buckler and his winemaker Garrett Martin will share the secrets of their unique racing series wines. Having enjoyed these delicious blends, I promise you're going to love the racing series. Here's how you join. Your purchase of two bottles from the racing series gets you in the virtual door. Use the code UNICEF, all capitals, U-N-I-C-E-F, at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your purchase of any of the Racing Series wines. Plus, Adobe Road will be giving 10% of this event's sales to UNICEF. As an added bonus, Jeff and David will give everyone joining us a one-year subscription to their Magneto magazine. That's a $72 value. It's like getting an extra bottle of wine for free. Your wine ships promptly and arrives quickly. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the racing series. So go to adoberoadwines.com, use the code UNICEF today, and join us for a very fast and fun evening, Wednesday, August 26th. Cheers! American Collectors Insurance. That's who now protects my Porsche Turbo. The one I call my orange crush. They've been protecting vehicles since 1976. With all the time, effort, and money you've put into your classic vehicles, do you know how much you would receive if yours was stolen, damaged, or totaled in an accident or a fire? Your regular auto insurance carriers won't tell you until after the claim, and more than likely, 
you'll be in for a rude awakening. With an agreed value policy from American Collectors Insurance, you'll be paid your vehicle's full agreed value. No surprises. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you'll get with an agreed value policy. I shopped around and decided to protect my car with American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today for a quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love. Tell them Mark Green at Cars Yeah sent you. That's American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, folks just like you and me. So, Pete, we're back as I continue on this journey to share your life and this new book with people. The first thing I want to ask you is this. Do you have a quote or a mantra, something that perhaps you've lived by, some kind of saying that has some meaning to you? It's a nice way to get the race tires uh, smoking here on cars. Yeah, so grab the wheel. I always loved the old quote by Juan Manuel Fangio back in the 50s. He was advising a slower driver how to go faster, and he says, it's simple, you know. Let's break more gas. (laughs) Yeah, if it was only that simple, how would you apply that concept to your life and your career as being an author and a photographer and announcer and all the things you've done? Oh, boy. Um, I think the only way that I could answer that is to not hold back. Just do things that you always wish you had, you could do, but just actually do them. I remember in the days when I was leaving home and living on the road and often hitchhiking to things like racetracks and sleeping in sleeping bags in the hedgerows in England having bicycled somewhere. I, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm doing something that most people when I was in high school told me they were going to do someday, but they've never done it. And yet I am doing it. And sure, you're lonely, you're, you're far away from home. But, you know, you come back with these incredible memories and experiences, and I have them now in my old age, and people that always wanted to do it are now too old to do it. So I think just forget what other people tell you to do or forget your inhibitions and just do it. Yes, you know, absolutely. Now, let me ask you, Pete, for for listeners that maybe don't know you, how old are you today? I'm uh, 80. 80. There you go. Well, I wanted to touch on that because this is a great example of a guy who's lived a life the way he wants to live it and he's done what he's wanted to do. And you know, I always tell people, don't wait for another day. If you want to do something, try your best, do your best to make it happen now because life's so precious. We never know how long we have on this planet. We're dealing with a pandemic right now that could be tragic to somebody's life. And, and let me ask you, Pete, is everybody in your family healthy and safe right now? Touch wood, yes, absolutely. But no, we're incredibly, uh, we do have friends who have been touched by this, but yeah. so far they, they've recovered. There you go. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I love that saying, touch wood. Of course, a great book by Duncan Hamilton. Yes. Yeah, Touch Wood uh, about racing and so forth. Well, I want to talk about your book. Now, this new book you've written is about shadow race cars, the magnificent machines of a man of mystery. And and before we dive into my questions about the book, boy, the time we're recording this last weekend, I was watching a race at Elkhart Lake and poor Jim Pace, who's driven vintage race cars and cars for a long, long time, had a very, very serious upside down incident on the straight at Road America. Did you get a glimpse of that video? I have seen the two different videos, and the one taken right from behind the bridge as the car is coming by, it's just, that's the, shall I say, the best 
photograph or best image of a blowover I've seen. It's just so scary, isn't it? Oh, gosh. And I'm so happy he's okay. I read something that he says yes. is fine and so forth. That's a testament yeah. really to an old car like that because racing old vintage cars that are serious cars like a shadow you're going really really fast and i raced vintage cars for 12 years my cars were nothing like that i had a sports racer and a lotus 18 uh but i can't imagine getting flipped upside down like he did so i'd like to say that he is you know an accomplished driver for sure but he is by far not the first person to be surprised by a race car trying to fly yes uh they Can-Am cars were quite notorious for that, and a lot of design and uh, other effort went into trying to keep them from doing that. Of course, we've seen other kinds of car flip. I mean, I've even seen a video of a Formula car flipping, I mean, an open-wheel car. Yes. But in every case, I think it absolutely astounds the driver. All of a sudden, he's crutched down in a seat with, uh, as the nose goes up and all he sees is blue sky, and he's like, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, what's going on? The main thing is it was coming up the straight, and the road crested, and all of a sudden, as his car was light, and there wasn't much wind on the car anyway because he was tight behind the other car, all of a sudden it got a blast of wind under the nose. And until this happens to you, you just do not understand the, the power of aerodynamics. And those cars are so fast. Well, let's talk about this book. First and foremost, talk about why you undertook this endeavor. The book is absolutely spectacular, and it goes into so much detail. I mean, this is a book that's over 450 pages. It's a classic Pete Lyons book. I mean, it's one of those things you could sit down and spend an entire weekend with. And you really go through everything from the the prologue that talks about the Shadow Man and how the car came along and the evolution. We talk about Can-Am, Formula One. The Shadow is one of those very interesting historic thing. So how did your decision process come up to write a book like this? Well, first of all, thank you for those generous comments. I had, obviously, I had seen the shadow cars in their debut at Mossport in 1970, and again in their Formula One to Kailami in South Africa in 1973. And I knew the, the team by then, and I had following the team all through my time at racing. Uh, they lasted from 1970 into 1980, and I was on the scene for a lot of those years. I won't say that I was in every race in the later period. So it was in my mind that this is an interesting story, and particularly when I realized that they actually lasted longer in Formula One than any other American team ever has. And their their cars are iconic, particularly the big Can-Am cars, so they're you know, glossy black paint with a old white logo on them, people seem to remember that, and the name Shadow resonates with people, too. Uh, then there's a sense of mystery about it, which was in some ways genuine, in some ways enhanced by, you know, by design. All of this made it for a fascinating story, and I've been kind of interested over the years that no one has actually done a book about it. And I remember speaking with Don Nichols in more recent years, back in the 90s, when we worked together somewhere. And he said, oh, he's, he's writing two books. He's got to write a book about his time in the military and another time about his, uh, another book about his time in racing. So I thought, okay, well, he's got that handled. There's some opening for me here. And of course, it never happened. Until finally, uh, I'm going to credit David Bull, the publisher. Oh, David. starting this yes. out. Uh, um, things transpired, and unfortunately, we weren't able to put it together to do it with David. But he's actually the guy that got me started on this. 
so therefore, when we were, Lorna and I were at the uh, historic races at Monterey one year in 19, I'm sorry, 2013, mm-hmm. we, we took a day off and, and drove a few miles over towards Salinas, where uh, Don's famous warehouse was, the, the Wizard's Cavern, I call it. The Wizard's Cavern, uh, I love it. <laughs> oh, if, if, if you've not been, if you've ever been in there, you'll know exactly what I mean. It's a vast, cavernous place full of you know, three tiers high with wooden shelving stuff with old race car parts. It's just enthralling. Uh, or it was. It's, it's cleaned out now. But we were, we also seen Don at the meeting in Los Angeles where he was asked to speak. And I, I think a lot, like a lot of people, we noticed that, you know, his memory wasn't as sharp as it used to be. So I went up there thinking, I don't know if this project is actually going to be feasible because, you know, how can you do a story about the, cars without talking about the guy that was responsible for them. But, you know, we came away with enough good memories and enough good feeling about this that we went ahead and did it. But that was in 2013, and here we are in 2020, so it's taken that long to get the thing done. Wow. And I'm so delighted that I was able to do it with the, the guys in England, EPRO Publishing, E-P-R-O. They are just wonderful folks to work with, and they do a superb job. I'm, I'm just so proud and pleased with this book that we've all done together. Well, you should be. And Evro, they've sent me uh, many books uh, over the years here with Cars, yeah, and I've had many of their authors on. And yeah, that's a, a top-notch publishing house. I'm glad you mentioned David Bull. Uh, in fact, I need to give him a call. I've not talked to him in a while. Uh, he was a very early guest here on Cars, yeah. had been a friend with, of mine for a long time. He was in a tragic motor ac- accident, paralyzed, uh, really turned his world upside down. So terrible thing, but his books at Bull Publishing are absolutely spectacular. Well, let's talk about this book a little bit more. Now, talking about Don and the shadow and everything, is there something that you came across in all your investigations as you wrote this book that really surprised you? I didn't realize what a sharp wit he had and what a sense of humor he had, because my previous interactions with him were uh, in a racetrack paddock setting mostly, and every once in a while at a more social gathering, but it was always a tall, quiet, reserved guy with kind of a forbidding manner. And uh, it's not that he was uncordial, but to me, at least back in the day, it was no more than that. Uh, we, we never sat down and chatted, and he was not a drinker, and not my actually, but you know, we never sat at a bar and shared a beer or anything. Sure. Uh, uh, so that when I, uh, Lorna and I were finding ourselves spending hour upon hour with him day after day, uh, when he finally started warming to us, which took a while, he would say things, his eyes would start sparkling, he'd be <laughs> laughing, and I thought, I, I, I could go Don Nichols could laugh. <laughs> well, sometimes people have a shield up, and when they finally let it down, you start to see who they really are. Yes. You mentioned earlier the length of time that Shadow, as a manufacturer racer, was on the market. What does that time period span? Um, their first race was 1970, although Trevor Harris and Don Nichols hooked up together at the end of 1968 to do this, you know, exotically radical uh, tiny tire car that they intended to race in the can in 1969. But the car was, you know, so wildly complex that uh, it took them another year, and it was 1970 before they actually got it race ready. 
Yeah. So from 1970 all the way through 1979, and then uh, the first few races of 1980. That was the Don Nichols time span in racing, and his Formula One career was from 73 into 80. So that uh, what that is uh, seven years, eight years. Can't do my math. That you know, and you know, people like Gurney and Penske and uh, Parnelli and uh, even Scarab, remember? Yep. Uh, they were in it for far fewer years. Right. Yeah. For a privateer and yet to pull that famous. off. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm sorry, I over and yet they were all famous. It's incredible. And his cars were so radical. When you you walk up to one and look at it uh, at a vintage race these days. You just think whoever drove these things had to be very brave uh, because of the the placement of the driver in the car and how low they were and the, and just a lot of different types of things put into the car that were not let's say normal. Not that K and M was ever normal because it was always out there on the edge. Were there any things about the the design and the cars that really made your eyebrows go up as you resourced all this? Well, remember that he that Nichols had three different designers. That Trevor Harris did the tiny tire car of nineteen seventy, which really was a scary contraption. I think when we first saw it, everybody stood back and rolled their eyes. What good lord? What are these people up to? And yet, George Fulmer qualified it on the third row of that grid, and he was racing with um, some cars for a few laps until the engine went away and it started overheating. And it was, you know, they were, they started the race on seven cylinders, I think he said. And so it, it was not going to be a long race. In fact, the car never ran more than a few laps of the three races it ran. But if you look at that and you think, I would not want to have an accident in that car because his feet took up all of the cramped foot space in that car side to side because it was narrow. And they stuck way out in front of the front axle line. Yes. And, you know, the there was, quote, a roll bar and over the structure, and the structure itself, it was a monocoque structure, it was very stout and very well made. They, Trevor is very proud of this day that they never had a problem with the chassis. But on the other hand, uh, George never wrecked it, so that's a testament to both people. Right. Then we move on to the Peter Bryant era, and they, those two cars in 72 and 73 were, I'm sorry, 71 and 72 were much more conventional and put together by a an experienced mechanic through many, many years and various kinds of racing. And the cars he built were quite solid and strong and, and uh, practical. They, they weren't that reliable. That, that was still a thing that they were working on. But uh, Jackie Oliver had a nasty crashing one, and, and he just you know, didn't hurt him at all. Then we go to the uh, Tony Southgate here, and those cars were wonderfully exotic. Not exotic is the wrong word. They, they were elegant. They were uh, graceful, elegant, innovative, interesting cars. That first car back in the 1970 season, to me, looked like a little kid's go-kart with a big block yes. engine stuffed in the back. It's it's crazy looking. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Well, listen, um, one of the things that I like to ask my guests is, is a challenge question. And um, I would love to ask you this about the the writing of this book, what what was one of the biggest challenges you faced in putting this, this book together? Too much stuff. Too much stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's 450 plus pages. It's, it's huge. We, we've been to you know, brunch at a, at a place in Port Island and in San Diego. 
And they had a brunch there that Sunday, and the brunch, it was a gigantic room. And there wasn't only one table, there were like six tables. And you had to go around this room and choose one thing, not what you didn't have to choose, but the choice was overwhelming. I mean, I just basically stood there thinking, oh my, God, I don't know what to choose. I can't have everything. I want everything, but I can't have it. Right. And that's just like this book project. Yeah. I, I like to call that the paradox of choice. So you started yeah. with a massive pile of things and you had to figure out some way to pare this all down, but still get this yeah. magnificent story out there. How does a writer, how do you approach that? How do you start to disseminate what's a keeper and what's not? I, I used to have a dear editor at the Vintage Motorsport magazine, Art Eastman. And when I, uh, in fact, he made it possible for me to write the first Can Am book. And I said, my God, I've never written a book this size before. And he says, well, keep writing a book is simple. It's just like eating an elephant. One forkful at a time. Yep. I don't know that he's ever actually written a book. Well, yeah, easy to say, not easy to do. Well, it's a magnificent book. I I really, really love it. It's great. And uh, the the listeners are going to really love this, too. Um, Let's take a short break and uh, thank our sponsors here. And we come back. I want to dive into your your personal passion around the racing and the career you've had in a minute. So sit tight, keep those 4.5 point harnesses cinched down. We'll be right back. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's sports car market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports car market is the wall street journal for enthusiasts and collectors. It's your monthly must read. Whether you dream of owning a collector car, maybe you have two or maybe you've got 200 sports car market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. And don't miss my weekly podcast with Keith Martin titled Buy, Sell, Hold. It's the essence of collecting. We talk to the movers and shakers in the collector car world. Here's a couple deals I have for you just for listening here on Cars Yeah. If you use the checkout code Cars Yeah. You'll receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription at Sports Car Market. That's an exclusive offer from Cars Yeah. And guess what? Here's another deal. If you'd like to get the actual magazine, use the code BSH for buy, sell, hold. That's code BSH. And you'll get $10 off your annual print subscription. That's right. $10 off. Both of these are exclusive offers here at Cars Yeah for Sports Car Market magazine. Just go to sportscarmarket.com and get your deals today. Let's step away from the conversation and talk about our charity of choice here at Cars Yeah, America's Automotive Trust. America's Automotive Trust is a group of like-minded nonprofits that are working together to preserve and promote car culture across the country. Together, they provide scholarships and grants to aspiring technicians and restoration artists. They provide youth education programs and bring communities together through auto-related events, car shows, and drives. Among these nonprofits is TechForce Foundation, a great organization dedicated to solving the technician shortage that threatens the transportation industry today. By providing career development resources and increasing awareness and enthusiasm for the tech profession, TechForce is bringing bright young students into the auto, diesel, aviation, marine, motorcycle, motorsports, and restoration worlds. To date, they've awarded more than $10 million in scholarships and grants to tech students. And in times like these, 
I don't have to tell you how essential those techs are. Keeping our delivery and emergency vehicles running and keeping America rolling. To learn more about TechForce or to make a donation to this cause, visit www.techforce.org. You'll be glad you did. All right, Pete, we are back. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion with racing and what led you down this path to be an author about racing. I mean, you talk about riding a bicycle to tracks and sleeping bags and sleeping in the back of somebody's car or in a tent or whatever. What was that pivotal moment in your life when you said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do? I think it evolved slowly, but I do have a spark spark moment, an ignition point in my memory. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad was on cars and car racing, and when I was a kid, I couldn't care less about cars. I mean, cars were just boring things that you somebody drove you somewhere, and they didn't go fast enough. But when we were, when I was probably 12 years old, we used to vacation for the you know, for weekends out at uh, Montauk Point at the end of Long Island, and Bird Champion Racetrack was there, which is why Dad went. So he would go off to the races while the kids, you know, myself and my sisters and my mom stayed on the beach. But one year, Dad took me to the races, and I can remember being quite a small. I remember myself as being small, but you now 12 years old, and you're gaining a little height. And we were walking around the, the paddock, and I was, I, I don't think I'd ever seen a race car before. And we had Cadillac Allards and Ferraris and Jaguars and all sorts of exotic things, home-built specials. None of which meant anything to me except they were all loud and colorful and gaudy and made a lot of what's that they made a lot of noise. Yep. And they looked like nothing I'd ever seen before, but they were all too big. I remember looking at what I learned later was an Allard. Big, beautiful thing. Filled up it looked like an indie roadster today with beautiful paintwork on it. I looked at that and I thought, That's really interesting, but it's way too big. I could never even jump into that thing. Yeah. But then we came to a little car. It was it turned out to be a Formula 3 car, which in those days had a 500cc motorcycle engine in the back, a Cooper. And I looked at that thing, and I looked at it, and I thought, this one fits me. <laughs> that is the spark that I remember. That I could have a personal relationship with these, and it, I have had that ever since. Yeah, no doubt. Well, beautiful little cars, the Coopers. So fathers take kids to races. That's my that's my advice. Well, let's talk about the first special vehicle in your life, uh, the first car that you got that had great meaning for you. What would that be? Most of my cars have been utilitarian and boring, but I did splash and I bought a 1973 Stingray Corvette. Nice. And I took it to Europe. Nice. Well, that's cool. You drive it all over Europe? I did. Um, it Came when in the beginning of '73 when uh, Autosport switched me from covering Can-Am in North America to Formula One and around the world. So I thought, my gosh, I'm going to be a Formula One reporter, just like Dennis Jenkins and my guru. <laughs> and so I thought, I, I, gee, what, I'm going to need wheels over there. I could probably buy a Lotus or a Porsche. I, you, know, or, you know, not paying any attention to how expensive anything is. I'm, I'm a single kid, you know, but. And I thought, now, why don't I do something really lurid and gaudy? I'll buy a Corvette, take it over to Europe, and then at the end of the season, I'll sell it and make a lot of money. And so I did exactly that, except for the selling part. Oh. Like, at the end of the year, I'd fall in love with the thing. I couldn't bear to part with it. <laughs> so you brought it back? 
No, I, it's still over there actually, but uh, I, I, kept, I kept it for four years, and I, you know, gas prices or not, I was driving it. Yeah. And I, um, I'd say the very first time I saw it, it got my dad shipped it to Rotterdam, and so I went to Rotterdam and I walked out the dock and I thought, okay, let's see, I'm looking for a red Corvette, a red Corvette, and there was a green Corvette. I thought, oh no, they <laughs> sent me the wrong car. Oh no. Oh, I'll make the best of it, and I kept walking, and then beyond that, I saw the red Corvette. So ah. there were two red, two Corvettes on the dock at Rotterdam that day. Oh, cool. And so I drove it from there straight to Spa up, up in Belgium for the six-hour race, and then they jumped in the car and drove it all the way down across the Alps and down the entire length of Italy to Sicily and went to the Targa Florio. Then I turned around and went straight north, and back up to, I don't forget, whatever racetrack it was next. And so I put like 4,000 miles on that thing the first two weeks. It was great. I oh, loved it. wow. What a fun, what a fun thing to do. That's, uh, that sounds magnificent. Well, I always uh, crawl into my guest's head a little bit here, Pete. Sure. And I ask them to think about what if you were manifest as a vehicle? This could be a race car. It could be a street car. It's not really what you want to be. It's more of your personality, your traits manifest into the steel and rubber and oil and gasoline of a vehicle. What would Pete Lyons be and why? Wow. I'm thinking of all the race cars I've stood over and watched go by, and, and I'm thinking, uh, I could list cars that I'd love to own and drive. But if you're asking me what car I think I am, I might be a chaparral. Ooh. Okay. I'm thinking it puts together all of the things. It puts together the hybrid European type of car with the American take on it that, uh, you know, the Can-Am car embodied so memorably. Uh, Chaparral's Jim Hall was such an, is such an innovative, bright guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just dazzled by the things he thinks of. I, I just cherish brains like his. And you look at a winged chaparral, which I saw run its first race at Bird Champion in 1966, which was also my first Can-Am race. And that thing was like a spaceship. You know, we were used to McLarens and Lolas and Scarabs before that and Cunninghams before those. And they were big, burly English or European style cars with big American engines in them. They were wonderful. And that was just the kind of hybrid you want. But then Jim Hall bought brought space technology to it. Yes. It was, a, a, you know, it, the, the wing on it. We'd never seen anything like a wing. And watching that thing fly over the sand dunes at Bridgehampton with the wing trimmed out, and then it, the wing would flip as he got into the corners. He'd go through the corners fast. And, you know, it was just a revelation. And this, to me, set my idea for what the Can-Am was all about. And so I would love to think that I would be worthy of being thought of as a Can-Am kind of a guy. Sure. A Chaparral kind of guy. You know, I think back to the 2E, uh, the 2G, the 2F, yep, those yep. cars with the wings, and, of course, the incredible, yep. innovative 2J uh, with that right. s- that box on the back. I remember being at... Uh, Laguna Seca historic races the year that Jim Hall was the featured guy and watching Vic Elford right. get into that right. that two J and go racing up the hill in that thing and my son was with me and he's like why is there a box on the back of that race car and explain to him what Jim Hall did and the, the innovation so uh, you know you're the 
I tell you, Pete, yeah. you're the only chaparral on this show, and I think it fits you perfectly for the life that you've lived. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, wow. Nicely done, my friend. All right. We are entering what I call the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions, ask you to give our listeners some quick blips of that chaparral throttle. Doesn't that sound like fun? So here we go. What's one of your personal habits over the years that you think has contributed to your ability to write so many books and do what you've done? Oh, boy. If you ask my wife, most of my habits are bad habits. Um, <laughs> we can get, get her on the phone if you'd like. She's a delight to talk yeah, to. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm 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 not a person who likes routine or uh, regulation or or uh, schedules or habits. However, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about not holding back, doing something. I've I found that the times that I've done something that I really like, I was that I'm proud of doing. It was something that I might have shied away from initially, and I'm glad I didn't. If I can tell a little anecdote, I'm, I'm thinking of a story I did for Auto Week once. I got a call from somebody at Auto Week saying, could I go to Texas, to Texas World Speedway, because it was a Ferrari club meet, and they were going to have a Ferrari F50 there. Somebody had bought one that was going to take delivery there, and he was going to be giving, you know, driving it around the racetrack. Would I like to go and watch this car go around the track? Well, I thought, oh, I don't know. I mean, that's a long trip for just standing there watching a, race, a car go by. But uh, then he said, well, you sort of, we, we need you to say yes because Denise McCluggage just turned it down. I said, why, why did Denise turn it down? I mean, she's a magnificent writer. I yes. mean, she would do justice with a car like that. So she said, well, am I going to get to drive it? And they said, no, no, he's not going to allow anybody to drive it. She said, well, I'm not going. So I thought... Okay, there's a challenge here. Yes. I could pick up a story that Denise McCluggage didn't want to do, and I could make <laughs> something of it. Yes. I'm going to try that. And so I went down there, and sure enough, I saw the car, and in fact, he gave me a ride around the racetrack in it. Nice. But what the only person I saw get a ride in it was a little boy. He might have been six or eight years old. He, he got a ride in the car. And I thought, this is my story. Yeah. This right here is the look on this kid's face, and he's in this magnificent, gigantic, to him, red, you know, Italian race car. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a street car, but it's built like a race car, and and he gets a ride on a racetrack, and I thought, what a thing to put to expose the young man to, a young child to, what an incredible gift for this kid. And I kind of constructed my story around that. And, you know, Denise called me later. She said, well, you got a better story than I was going to <laughs> <laughs> But things like that, you know, grab, grab a chance to do it. Yeah, definitely take a chance. The late, great Denise McCluggage. I was so honored to yes. have her be a guest on this show a few months before we lost her. Uh, wonderful story. We were story. so delighted to know her. Yeah. yeah, she's a great lady. How about if I could wave a magic wand and have you uh, sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased? You've met so many great people, but is there one in particular? Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I've actually had that experience so many times with so many wonderful people, not necessarily, you know, in the situation you described, but just sitting on a pit wall, just chatting with people. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot of them that I wish I had more time with. Ones that I never met with, they'd have to include Fonjo. Oh, yes. I, You know, I, I saw him once in my life. I never spoke to him. But when... 
I read Dennis Jenkinson about Juan Fangio. Uh, Jenkinson's book, The Racing Driver, is uh, he spends a lot of time talking about characteristics that Juan Fangio had to, that made him such a champion driver in his day. And I thought, oh, I just love to know more about this man and speak to him. I don't speak Spanish, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think he spoke very much English, if any. So we would have that to get by. But, you know, I've learned Spanish. Yes. If I could do that. Yeah, I got to meet him briefly my first trip to the uh, wow. Monterey Historics when he was a featured gentleman there, and he signed my poster. Yes. So it's a oh, very wow. brief, you know, I stood in line for a long time, and he signed it, and gracias, and that was kind of the end of it. But uh, to be able to look him in the face and say, wow, uh, it was pretty amazing. When it comes to automotive advice, Pete, is there one piece of automotive, automotive advice that someone has offered to you that you found valuable? Hmm. Um, I suppose I'm thinking of people who tried to coach me into being a driver off track. I've had a lot of good coaching in, over the years. I mean, it was Bob Longeron, uh, Jim Hall's son, Jim Jr., Jim Hall, too, I guess you call him. Uh, I've gone to the Skip Barber schools. I had both Parnelli Jones and Al Windsor, a senior, you know, working with me and other students that day. I think it has to do with, with keeping your mind not getting overly excited. If you get into a race car, you get uh, you start breathing hard and you keep thinking, oh, I don't have many laps. i got to go as fast as I can. Just nail it out of the pits. Cope with it. Yes. And, you know, that's really not the way to start. Yeah, the, the red mist. Once you're experienced, you can do that. And I watched the guys get in a car for the very first time, and sure, they're on the limit the first lap, first turn. I, I went around... I was at we Atlanta once, and Hurley Haywood was there giving rides and, and Porsches, I think. But there was also some Nissans there. We were—I think I was there for a Nissan function. We were driving, you know, two forty Z or something around the racetrack. And uh, somebody said, "Hurley, do you want to drive this?" He said, "Yeah, I never drove one of these before." And I happened to be the next passenger, so I hopped in, and I'm buckling my seatbelt. We were running out of the pits, and Hurley says, "I've never driven one of these before." You know. <laughs> my god it, you wouldn't know that he hadn't been racing them for five years of course yeah so you get to a skill level where you can do that kind of thing but for you know somebody just jumps into a car just boy those things can turn so vicious so fast it's what's it's what makes them enthralling Day calm. Well, the great Hurley Haywood, he's been a guest on my show a couple times now, and a guy that has so much seat time as him, yeah, could jump into anything and make it perform. Yeah. How about yes. uh, a resource out there for you? Now, as a as an author, you must have a tremendous number of resources, uh, but is there one that stands out that you might share? Thank God for the internet. I couldn't do what I do now without the internet. Yeah. It can be frustrating. It can be annoying. It can give you false information. You have to be always aware that, you know, nobody's vetted a lot of what you see. But at the same time, you know, I can be sitting writing along. I'm wondering, I can think, where did that shadow finish in the Belgian Grand Prix in 1974? (laughs) Yes. Hmm, I know. And within 60 seconds, I've got my answer. Yeah. You know, before the Internet, I'd have to. Oh, God, I hope I have a book that covers that. Oh, Lord, I don't. What do I do? And I've literally bought books to get information. And we're going back into the 80s and 90s. I had to buy books to get the information I needed. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's incredible, the resources. Well, I'll remind our listeners, uh, I always ask a guest for a book. I want to promote this book again today. It's titled Shadow, The Magnificent Machines of a Man of Mystery, 1970-75. to Formula One Greats, Lotus 72 is another book that Pete wrote last year. That I'm, I'm going to put a link to that book on his show notes page. I've got a copy of that as well. You need to get a copy of that because yeah. it's very cool. Lotus, of course, one of those brands that Colin Chapman brought to greatness over the years. Yeah, I would be allowed to point out that both of those books are still available, and Lorna and I have them in stock and are happy to sell them, and we've been selling a lot of both of them, and it's at PeteLyons.com. Absolutely. I'll make a link to that. You've got to get these in your automotive library. I've got them in mind. Absolutely fantastic. Pete, we're up to the checkered flag here, and I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to buy you a very cool collector car today. It doesn't matter what it is or who owns it. I'm going to Park it in your garage. A couple rules, though, that go along with this game since I'm writing the check. I want it to be a car that you enjoy, that you drive. No dust collectors. Uh, You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. And it's the only one cool collector car you can have in your garage, so it needs to tick a lot of boxes. What can I buy the great Pete Lyons today? Well, you're my new best friend. (laughs) I thought I might be. (laughs) The list is so long, but what is bubbling up it's a Ford GT40 small block, 1968-69. It's raising its head to some Pete. Pete, yeah. remember me? And I do remember them. I've yeah. had the chance to drive a few of them and big blocks, too. And there's just something about that. Um, they were built so stout. Uh, and they were, you know, the, again, that American hybrid thing, English chassis, American car. Yeah. And I would just love to have the open roads of Europe in front of me and a GT40 steering wheel in my head. I, think I know so. there's no luggage space. I know it's noisy. I know it's so low that you know people in regular cars can't even see you alongside them. Yeah. I know that uh, it, the mileage is terrible. I don't care. I want to drive it across Europe. So GT40, please. All right. I'll deliver that to the, uh, the coast of Portugal, and you can take it all the way across Europe and enjoy that. That sounds like a... Pretty fun road trip. I might have to hitchhike along the road and join you for that one. That'd be fun. Pete, you've taken me on another great ride today. And I want to shout out to our good friend, Judy Stropas. She's a past guest here. Yes. She's, she reconnected me with Pete, uh, said, hey, you got to have him back on the show to talk about this new book. Um, so thank you, Judy, for all the kindness you share and the great people you send me here on Cars. Yeah. If there's one last parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer our listeners before you head off across Europe in that GT40, what would those words of wisdom be, Pete? Don't let me tailgate you. I'll get us both into trouble. <laughs> Yeah, now there you, there you go. So for for you guys uh, out there in Europe, if you see a guy come up on you very fast in a Ford GT40, you need to pull over and let him go by because uh, he's on a mission. So uh, heed <laughs> those words greatly. Again, you can find everything we've talked about today on Pete's show notes page on the Carsia website or also go to PeteLyons.com, his website. You can grab his books. Uh, I encourage you to do so. These are going to be wonderful additions to your library. Everything can be found there. Pete, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing this newest book with us today about Shadow, the Magnificent Machines of a Man of Mystery. Until you and I talk again, which is going to be sooner than the last spread of six years, you have a great time. Stay healthy, my friend, and I'll see you down the road. Thank you. You're doing great work here. Appreciate it. I thank you very much. 
If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting, but what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt and it's probably the only book on finance with a v-max on the front cover and a classic mini cooper on the back the book's available at amazon for just ten dollars and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future i gave copies to each of my children all securities are through money concepts capital corp christopher kimball financial services is not affiliated with money concepts capital corp get your copy the saga of ike and penny today Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.